They are musicians, composers, artists, and for me, creatives in the truest sense of the word. My guests today are Kimberly and Martin McCarrick, better known as The McCarricks. The Eyes Have It podcast. New perspectives, personal stories, and eyewear journeys. With your host, Jason Kirk. Thanks for joining me on this latest episode of The Eyes Have It podcast. I'm Jason Kirk, founder of Kirk & Kirk, and I love nothing more than talking to artists and creatives about what drives them, what scares them, and what makes them tick, which is exactly what I tried to do in this series. Let's meet today's guests. Hello, Jason. We are collectively the McCarricks. I'm Kimberly McCarrick, and this is my husband, Martin McCarrick. Hello. Lovely to see you and speak to you as always. Great to see you guys. So... I'm going to start off. My first question is for Kimberly Martin, if you'll allow me that that honor. What's it like working with your husband? Oh my God! Well, wow, that's that. I mean, that's a loaded question. Careful. Um, I, 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 I don't know. Let let's let's start backwards. I mean, um, you know, we've been working together for twenty twenty five years now, and we ironed out the glitches, as it were, <laughs> more or less, more or less. Um. I, I think we've grown to trust each other's musicianship, I think, is is the key there. So when when I'm not happy with something or he's not happy with something, um, it's an incredibly personal process writing music or, or doing arrangements or something like that. You're invested in it because you're emotionally and intellectually invested in what you're creating. And it's really hard for somebody to turn around and go, nah, mate, don't like it. But that used to cause more friction than it does now. Now we both trust each other's musicianship. We work on something until we're both happy. And then it's like, wow, we're that we were right. That's better. Us working together is a professional goal and, and a music goal. And and yes, I mean, it, sometimes, uh, you know, the moodiness carries on into into dinner sometimes. But I don't know. I think we've always been pretty good at separating that out from from the relationship the the goal is a successful piece or a successful arrangement so having i I would work the same with martin as i would work with somebody who isn't my spouse the process is the same yeah that's very true actually it it is a similar process it obviously there's that connection that Mm. you know you're working in the same place when you finish you don't finish work and go off into different places you finish working go off into the kitchen and cook dinner. As Kimberly says, we've sort of found a dynamic that, that does work. I mean, we I'm a terrible interrupter. I'm a I, that sounds great. I mean Kimberly we're working and recording somewhere in, in, in a in our little studio room and I will pop my head indoors. That sounds great. Or I say, that sounds great. Don't change anything. Kimberly oh, says we're just working on just, something. I said I swear sounds- to God, shut up, go away. <laughs> but yeah, so so now she does her recording and yeah. I get sent down the pub. Yeah. Martin is so fast. He's he's the most natural musician and it just pours out of him. So so while I'm working something out, it's like I know where it needs to go. I know where I want it to go, but I need to build on top of that and it might take me a few goes. And the more that he interjects with what with his enthusiasm is is kind and his jubilance that may be. It's like, dude, you've got to go. And actually, it's great because I, I can get quite anxious when I'm hearing music. I hear where I think it's going, and I think that's where it should go. Which me, I it, the creative process is allowing 
allowing that creative process to to move with someone else and and to be part of someone else as well. We do work together. That's the. It's not my project, and I sometimes let Kimberly join in, and so I have to move away from it and allow Kimberly to take her part in it. So, for the people that don't know your music, could you tell us exactly what it is that you do, and perhaps you could play us something? Yeah, sure. Okay, the um, we'll play you a piece of music called Bend. Um, Bend started off as um, just a piece of music that um, we started um, here one night. We had an old Korg Electribe, which is a sort of a, a drum machine with a few sort of strange sort of like synthesized tones in it as well. And we had this drum beat and some sort of bell sounds going with it. Um, we just started building up. It was a loop that went round and round and round. The same thing over and over again. The actual backing doesn't, I, I should say that we're, we, Kimberly plays the violin and I play the cello. And what we do is for every piece of music we write, we have a film made or we source some film that goes with it. And for Ben, the reason we called it Ben is that we sourced a piece of uh, film of some slow mo- motion contortionists called Diana and Archie Bennett. And when you watch the, this contortionism, it does look like the film has been slowed down, but that's that they are yeah. really moving at this it's incredibly, incredible. Yeah. Um, and we were sent this piece of film by, by someone in Australia who owns it, who, who um, kindly offered to share it with us and allow us to use it. And we just um, put it on to watch it. And we thought, well, let's put some music on in the background to just listen to it. So we put on this piece called Ben. It wasn't called Ben at the time. Um, it was just had no real name. And it just fitted. There was this amazing marriage between the two things, what we'd written and this piece of film that actually we'd never seen before. And we just put the two things together and the contortionists changed and they did movements when we changed uh, phrases. And it was just really quite, um, quite amazing. that on our website can we play the film along with the music absolutely yeah yeah ah, yeah yeah that would be great so listeners can discover bend and the film that goes with bend on the kirk and coke website which would be fantastic i want to come back to something you said martin you said that you feel anxiety sometimes when you hear a piece of music um yeah i can actually i have a lot of feelings when i listen to music sometimes it's anxiety sometimes it's joy music is very visceral for me and i, I, I suppose i can maybe establish it a bit more by saying that I also see music in patterns, in shapes, in the bricks of houses, yeah. in pavements. Trees are, are big, especially in the autumn. We went, yeah. Kimberly and I went out for a, 
a really quite expensive lunch. It was my birthday, I think. Partway through, she said, you're not really saying much. And, and it was because there was a tree outside. <laughs> and the shape of the tree branch was suggesting these different pictures to me. So I was singing the, the tree. tree in my... It's a bit like are you going to speak girl. through this lunch or are you going to stare out the window at the tree? I mean, like, wh- what's the plan here, man? It's a bit like a synesthesia, <laughs> I guess. But it, it, um, yeah, so I could see this branch and I was, I was getting da 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 And I was singing the tree branch myself and it was, I was sort of memorizing it. So I was watching it so I could remem- remember it later. Yeah. And then obviously, Kim, she realized that there was still dinner on my back and I was just singing a tree rather than speaking <laughs> to it. It's overwhelming. It's 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 all encompassing, isn't it? I, I I find it difficult too. I have to be in the right headspace to allow myself to physically go through that. Noise happens to you, you know, just like just like smell does. You know, you you can look away from something, but noise it it it, it changes your brain and it changes your structure, and and it can be completely overwhelming. I once asked. A great chess player called Arta Yusupov. This is a true story. He was number three in the world. And I had the opportunity to have a chat with him. And I asked him what he saw when he saw a chessboard. And I, I, I'd not really thought about the question before I had the opportunity to ask the question. And he, there's no question that he didn't see the same thing that I see when I look at a chessboard. It sounds like you're describing something. When people achieve a level of excellence, immersion, whatever that is. Do you find that with other of your artist friends as well? Do you find it with other musicians? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, even to the point of like synesthesia, you know, like uh, each key has a color and that's very, very personal, very specific. Um, It just is that way. You know, uh, I can't really explain it. I lack the vocabulary. It doesn't belong to you. It's, it's, it's given to you. That sounds really. Ugh. It does start to sound really pretentious. Oh my gosh! Uh, and it's not. I mean, it, I, I'm sorry. I'm visible in my words. Music by um, Edward Elgar, the cello concerto by Edward Elgar, which is the, the most famous performance, is by um, Jacqueline Frey, the cellist, um, who was a sort of child prodigy cellist, and um, sadly got multiple sclerosis in her sort of twenties, and then died fairly young as well. So I had a very short career as a cellist, but her performance of the Elgar Cello Concerto is really extraordinary. And just, you know, I've heard it so many times, but it never fails to just floor me every time we're here to see how can someone do that? How can someone bring that, that mood, that emotion, that sound, um, that kind of communication out of an, out of an instrument? And obviously the, the, a huge part of it is in the writing by Edward Elgar, but um, a lot of it is in that playing. Um, by Jacqueline Dupre and it's really um, yeah as Kimberly says it's really hard to describe what it is apart from the fact that it, it affects you on a, on a physical and sort of sensual level I am completely lost <laughs> and uh, absorbed by what you're saying <laughs> and I've seen you play I've seen you play um, many times not enough times I want to see you play lots more uh, I've seen you play on your own I've seen you play with great musicians and you, first of all, I find it really, really emotional to watch you play. And I don't know if I've ever told you that. I find it, I find it really, really moving. And you, you appear sometimes to be almost transported, almost like you're not there. How conscious of you are you of playing your instruments? Oh, it's the only thing. Every, everything, sorry, everything else fades away because it's something that has to be respected. You can't be thinking about anything else. It's all encompassing. 
you know so when you're there in that moment your your job is to create this thing or you know be 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 you know together with the band or whatever it may be whatever the circumstance is but there is nothing else around you it demands that that level of concentration it's also a lovely feeling yeah it's a really lovely yeah place to be and it's a place that both of us find in music and probably not in many other places but at the same time you are aware of it and that's what you're doing muscle memory obviously takes over because you can't think about every single note you're playing so there's a there's a direction to a phrase whether it goes up or whether it goes down or whether the dynamic is is lower or whether it's increasing and crescendoing and things like that but you, you are you are really aware of it it's like you're in something it's like being being submerged in water or something like that. You you are you are part, of it. so it becomes part of you, and you become part of it at the best of times. There are times when you perform and you become very conscious of yourself, and then it's really weird because that's when performances can go wrong. By becoming more conscious of what you're doing, you're more lo- you, you get you get lost. If that that's a really weird thing to say, but you have to sort of be submerged or immersed in it to be able to allow it to really flow fully. If you're if you're immersed in a piece of music you're transported by a piece of music what might cause you to to lose that rhythm we did a show in san diego um fairly small venue and a couple of things happened the first thing was that uh, we got there and there wasn't really room on stage for our projector and us and our cinema screen which we take with us so whenever we do a live show we are there live and we have a film that we've that has been made in the background uh, we, we call our screen our lead singer Dab singer, Absolutely. so the screen is the sort of main. It's I mean, what people feature. focus on, yeah. We hide behind or, or hide in front of that. But anyway, so there wasn't room for it. So we we always had this fallback, which was a white bed sheet that we could tape up onto a wall somewhere. We taped it up, and um, sort of small, sort of quite sweaty club, and it kept falling off all the time. So we sort of stopped and we pinned it back up again, and you know, so that good. that kind of interrupts the show. Someone. One of the crew, one of them decided, oh, I'll run on. I'll help them out. I'll help them. What he didn't know was that I had a, a, a sort of um, a glass of Jack Daniels and Coke on the floor. So he ran on stage to save our screen. At the same time, he managed to kick the Jack Daniels up into the air, which went up in the air with its slow motion content. style. And then know. emptied itself down my face and down the front of the chub. And down the front of the chub. Which was not okay. And the screen didn't stay up. Uh, but but even then, after that, when we were playing, a couple started dancing, and it's lovely when people so dance to what we do. But this kind of dancing was just—it wasn't dancing. They were it of, was I don't know what that was. Yeah. That was that they needed medical attention. It's really hard sometimes <laughs> to play. Even the how it doesn't matter how intense your music is. Someone in front of you is is doing the strangest dance. It's just it, you, it, you it's incongruent with what you're doing. But which bit of that did you find distracting? <laughs> I mean, we kind of got it all over Probably on the, the show. Don't sing more than anything. The dancing. Else. And then I'm very, very carefully trying to work out a way how to sponge off Jack and Coke off, off, off of a cello, which while wasn't still, great. While still playing. Yeah. No. It's, yeah. <laughs> you are creatives in the true sense of the word, and you do all sorts of things outside of music as well. And I look forward to, I have to mention this, I look forward to seeing your Christmas tree every year and your Halloween decorations. Um, yes. So we, instead of getting a tree, I don't, which just takes up too much floor space, um, 
I've started making a, a wreath which goes on the wall, but it is, it is eight feet long by the time I'm finished with it and five and a half feet across. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I, what, why am I doing this to myself? And I swear when I'm building it and my hands get cut up when I'm doing it, but it's, it's almost like a, it's me against the wreath. It's time, time to go. How many lights? Uh, 580, 580 lights and hundreds and hundreds of decorations. And it takes me, it takes me, I think, what is it? it was, I think last, last year it took me 52 hours to build from start to finish. And it's like, why, why am I doing this to myself? But, but then like you, Jason, I get people saying, oh, this is the best part of my Christmas. I get, it was like, really? Like what? But okay. So, you know, so now, now I have to do it. Well, it brings an enormous amount of joy to the world. <laughs> I'll tell you another, another little bit of it. Um, we go and collect the wreath um, from New Covent Garden Market, not far from us. And you have to go very early in the morning. Mm. Oh, my God. Um, we go to pick up the wreath. I have to hold up about 20 wreaths so that Kimberly can look at which one is the, is the most one. symmetrical, has, has the most structural integrity. Um, and then he it, loves it. It's great. Then it comes home. <laughs> but this is the best bit. Then it comes home. <laughs> and it goes... It goes into a children's paddling pool full of water for two days. Any particular reason? Because to fluff up the knees. Because because it's been sitting there all dried out and unloved and stuff, and I and I take it home and I put it in its little paddling pool and talk to it and play at Mozart, you know. And uh, yeah, and just kind of let it soak up some water and stuff like that before I start building its extremities onto it. The only place to put it is outside the front door. So for two days, the postman. <laughs> postman's like, yeah, okay, that's puzzling pool with a wreath floating in it. It sort of re. Yeah, I mean, I God, we could talk about the wreath a lot, actually. And then yeah, Kimberly puts it together. She has diagrams and all sorts of things. Oh, I love a map. I have a map of how to put it together with all of the twigs that extend from the wreath and the tail. And oh my gosh, it's just like, yeah. But it is an art piece and it's something that, you know, we we did, we have talked about ensuring the ornaments because there are some Victorian ones. There are there, it's, it's, no, it's, it's serious now. I mean, it's like a competition now. The Eyes Have It podcast is brought to you by award-winning eyewear designers, Kirk and Kirk. For more info, find us on Instagram at Kirk and Kirk or visit our website, kirkandkirk.com. Kimberly, there's something else that you do, which is you have this incredible talent for baking. I respect baking. I respect the perfection it demands, I think. Um, you know, like if you're doing savory cooking, not that that doesn't command respect as well, of course, but you know, you can add a bit of this and add a bit of that and taste and whatever. And Baking is like, nah, you know, you, you can't do it. It's all when you add things, how much of it, how much it's whipped. It's all chemical. It's all science. I mean, the, the temperature of the room that you're doing something in that you've done a hundred times will yield a different result. No doubt it, it feels the same to me as being a violinist. You know, it, it, it's it's the same sort of comfort space in my head where it's right or it's wrong. There is no, there are no rooms for maybes or, uh, you know, spaces for, oh, that's good enough. You know what I mean? 
sugar and butter and eggs, they'll let you know very, very quickly if you've not done something properly. The other thing with, with baking and stuff like that is that, that I like is, okay, yes, there's the science aspect, but their whole reason, baking, the whole reason for that to exist is to make people happy. Like whether it's a celebration or it's a condolence or something like that, cake and stuff like that, it only exists in the world as a treat for people. And I can't really think of anything else that is that is exists solely for that reason. And that makes me really happy. And I like and I and and it makes me respect the scientific process even more to go. If, if I pull this off, it's going to be wonderful. And look how happy that's going to make somebody. And, and that that where it lives in my mind. So when you're creating your music, when you're creating your wreath, when you're creating your your cakes. And you bring them out to make people happy for other people to enjoy and to experience. Do you feel vulnerable? Do you feel exposed when you, when you give something of yourself to the world? Oh, interesting. You know what? Not, not so much because it's been so considered. Like there's a difference between being on stage and being in the audience, I guess. Like stage, I know how to work that, right? I, I know what it feels like. I know how to do it. And I know, for lack of a better term, the kind of mask you wear to be that performer. Um, vulnerability comes in when something blindsides you, you know? So when I'm making the wreath or when I'm baking or doing something like that, I, I, I trust the process and, and I'm happy with, with what I've produced. And only then will it go out into the world in whatever incarnation uh, that may be, you know, there's always the bit of you that's like, okay, you know what? Next time it's going to be better. And I think that every time, every cake, every performance, every piece we write, every wreath, I'm like, you know what? Next year it's going to be better. It's going to be better. So it's like that internal drive for for some unobtainable perfection that only is my own standard. That sounds pretty dark. But 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 it's true. So the, the, there isn't any real vulnerability there. It would it, I, I suppose vulnerability would come in kind of like uh, judgment, in, like uh, in, in competitions and stuff like that. That are, you you know both of us did in university and stuff like that. Horrible concerto competitions. Oh my god, um, and, and stuff like that. Uh, which is exactly the reason why I've been told before. Oh, you know, you should do Bake Off and you should do that. And it's like no, because I enjoy this. I, I don't want it to be tainted by competition and the opinion uh, of, of other people, you know, the opinions of my friends and my own processes, you know. So why do we do this to ourselves? Why, why as creatives do we put ourselves through this, this angst, this anxiety, this vulnerability or whatever it else that we've, it is we feel when we create a tableau and put it out there? I think it's um, a, mix, a mix of a couple of things. I think one of them is that it's, it's very natural. It's something that creativity, playing music is something I've done and, and creating. I, I grew up, um, my mother was an artist and I grew up around sort of creative ideas, uh, I suppose. But when I started playing music at the age of five and playing a recorder and then um, getting a piano at the age of seven, um, which my music, my, my primary school music teacher very cleverly conned my parents into buying. And then I started playing it. It was something that was just incredibly natural. I had lots of opportunities yeah. to stop playing, but I never did. And it was something that I sort of always knew that I wanted to do. So that that was in there. And I think sometimes 
the more you follow a creative path and a creative idea, the more they develop inside you. It's like when you do anything, the more you the more you do it, the more that ability develops within you. And the same can happen with creativity. Anyone can be a creative person. You don't have to be born a child prodigy or anything like that. And I certainly wasn't. But it's about um, acceptance and accepting that that is what you do. And also getting a really huge kick out of it as well. I loved performing as a child. Um, I loved getting onto the school stage. I loved playing. I loved the fact that it transported me to somewhere else. Um, I never thought about what other people did. I mean, I know people played football and rugby and went to scouts and all the things that I didn't do because I was practicing the cello. And um, But I guess they got something else out of that. I didn't need any of that. I, I, I got it from music. I got it from listening to music. Um, and all my music growing up was classical music to start with um, until I discovered um, sort of listening to the radio and, and hearing punk music yeah. and things like that. And that was another big change for me. And that's a whole different story. Really. But why do we do it to ourselves? I think there's, there's something innate there. There's something that is, um, it provides you with something that is, is really satisfying. And that's why we put ourselves through the vulnerability and the anxiety and the struggle to actually create something sometimes, you know, getting a block, uh, you know, talk about writer's block, well, musicians get writer's block yeah. as well. And it's the most horrendous feeling. I've spent days pacing up and down our home with no ideas, occasionally phoning someone, another musician and saying, I've got no ideas, what do I do? And it is um, almost painful and it's, it makes you angry and it makes you a horrible person to be around. But when you finally crack that nut and you get there, the feeling is like nothing else. It's such a satisfying feeling. And, and I think that's why we put ourselves through it, because at the end of it is something really quite extraordinary. I'm not sure if it's something that's, I don't know whether some people ever have that. I hope they have that in their lives somewhere. But I'm not sure that I, I think it's interesting that you said like when you, when you got the piano where you're like, well, well, this is, this is what I do now. You know what I mean? And I had I had the same experience, uh, kind of nine years old, uh, just through the the public school system. They they brought kind of violins through, like kind of once a week. I don't know for like let's put music into schools, you know that kind of nonsense. And 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 I picked it up, and I just immediately felt I was like, well, this is what I'm going to do. I don't know what the rest of you guys are doing, <laughs> you know. Like and and it, and it was. Again, it wasn't it wasn't an emotional decision or even something intellectual. It was just it was foregone conclusion. It was fact from that moment. And 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 the rest was filling in the blocks, the hard work, because because I couldn't deny that fact. And you, you both grew up on on classical music, as I understand it. And that's that's where you kind of learnt your art. And the list of people that you have played with and collaborated with and contributed to over the years is phenomenal. I mean, it, it, it's it's incredible. And to name just a few, is like Mark Harmon and Gary Newman, this mortal coil, Susie and the Banshees, Ocean Size, an incredible, incredible musical career. And that's just outside of, of your own creation. But do you think that there is um, a thread between... This this kind of musical excellence because there's actually there's there's some diversity in the music. Do you think there's a thread to achieve that level of musical excellence? I think as musicians, Kimberly and I tend to sort of think a little bit outside of the box. So so I mean you know it's like sort of horrible way of putting things in some ways. But um, 
when you see us as, as a cellist and a violinist performing together, that's a part of what we do. But also, Kimberly introduces me to rock music all the time. So she listens to music on the radio or, you know, streams it and things like that. And um, it, It's not a genre if, it, if it's been done well. You know, like, like, you know, it can be, it can be anything. It can be, it could be hip hop or whatever, or, you know, country or, or heavy metal or classical or anything. If it's been done well, it's good. I think you've just, you just answered a question. I'm, I'm kind of interrupting here, but you've just answered a question that, that I, I held back on before, which is when you go from that classical music and Martin, yeah, you yeah. said, and then I heard punk. And I wondered how you go from that place to what? For me, from the outside of music and listening to punk and growing up at a similar age to you guys, I, I, I don't see, I imagine, I don't see the same connections. This, and, and Kimberly, you see that as if it's done well. I, I, I love that. Because I, 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 I spend some of my time now teaching musicians as well, and I t- teach them about classical music, and I teach them about punk, and I talk about the connections. And um, when I heard, sort of heard, first heard punk a it was a, it was it was an aggression in the music that i really liked and it was a it suited me at the time because i was you know i was i was, I was too young for, for punk when it was first out but you know when i when i started hearing it um it was slight it was part of an aggression but there was one band who strangely enough i ended up working with them suiting the banshees um and it was the guitar sound that was so dissonant yeah. reminded me of contemporary classical music that was the only yeah. thing i could compare it to um, and there was a band that were signed to, I think, Beggar's Banquet called Rima Rima, who were part of Adam and the Ants and another band that came, the Wolfgang Press and someone else. And they had, uh, I think, in 1978 or 1979, um, a, band, a song called The Feedback Song. And that's exactly what it was. It was just lots and lots of feedback. But that was the sort of thing that, that John Cage or someone was doing back in the 1940s. There is a connection. I didn't know about John Cage at the time. And, you know, I, I know about it now. I probably know more about that sort of music from listening to sort of something like punk. And I'm, when I'm talking about punk, I'm not, I'm, you know, it's a very, I know it's a very broad term. So I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily just talking about the, the sex pistols and things. It was a whole genre defying sort of thing in some ways, punk. And for, for me, some of like Susan the Banshees were always on the sort of more artistry side of punk because every album they did was different, a bit like an artist. It's my new display. Here's my new exhibition. It's different to the last one. It's not just the same same follow-on there's a thread that runs through it but there's a, there's a difference too but i just really liked some of the little dissonance that was there um some of the sort of noise but some of the sort mm. of beautiful sounds and that's it it's about sound well that's what it's you know, music is really about sound and we can have you know listen to a piece of mozart block and it's almost it's palatable and then you can listen to something um you know a piece of contemporary music a piece of barrio where he's just using a voice using um, using sounds and it's absolutely beautiful. It's that beauty that runs through music and it runs through so many different types of music, whether it's folk music or contemporary classical. Yeah, and you're also um, a great illustrator, Martin, as well. Uh, I've, I've had the pleasure of uh, you contributing to some work that I did as well, which was fantastic. And, and you're writing a book. Yeah, I started write, writing a while ago and they started off as tour stories because I've been telling these stories of things that happened to me on the road or, you know, meeting other bands or going to festivals or concerts we've done. And people always say to me, I should write a book. And I've just always thought, oh, we've got enough for you to write a book about. And then I started writing things down. And I realized there is a lot. But what was really interesting was that when I started writing about music, I immediately went back to where music came from for me. And that took me to childhood. And that 
took me to some other things because when you're creating the creative process i think kimberly said it earlier it takes you along with it absolutely you don't get to choose and you can direct it but sometimes by directing it you are directing yourself mm. away from the creative mm. process you have to let yourself go with it so so i went i found things in my childhood i'd forgotten about it made me stop writing because i was like oh i think i want to examine these a bit more before i continue writing um which was really, I mean, I won't, won't go into all the details now, but it was just a really interesting process of writing, then finding out something, something about myself that had always been there, um, but I hadn't thought about, and I hadn't put in, hadn't processed, and I hadn't put into any kind of place in my life, really. But when I found them, and I talked to Kimberly a lot about them, and it sort of made a lot of sense about other things. Um, so then I went back into writing, and then I stopped and started, and stopped and started, and people have been hassling me. They're like, we've got a publisher lined up for you. These stories deserve to be told. Agreed. And they're stories that we're losing. The mm-hmm. music industry and the creative arts are really changing. Touring is so um, different you know, it, now. I, I thought, you know, I keep stopping and starting and something else gets in the way. And I said, I, what I need is somewhere to go right. I said, oh, well, I want to, I want to get for a week, away for a week or something like that. Um, so I found, you know, I sort of looked at a few places. I, I suppose I'm, if Joe, if I'm honest, I'm a little bit startled at the, at the speed with which Kimberly booked me a place to go away from her for a while. <laughs> I, on the phone, I said, I found this place. It was booked within 10 minutes. And she said, I booked it and paid for it. <laughs> I quickly, we haven't talked about glasses. You guys have the most fantastic wardrobes. Oh, no, they're, darling, 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 darling. There's a whole closet for frocks. Well, no, because there's normal clothes. And then there's tour clothes and, and performance clothes. And, you know, it's just like it, it, it's it, our, our whole life or our whole flat is Tetris because like, you know, you don't you don't you don't go out in in public wearing these things. Well, I, I do actually, Jason. Um, but, you know, <laughs> for, for the most part, I mean, I've just got stacks and stacks and stacks of boxes of these exquisite pieces of, you know, show clothes, I guess, you know, yeah. You both dress amazingly, but how important is eyewear in in that wardrobe? Oh my gosh! You know what? I, I Jason and I, we 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 we've talked about this before, but for me, it's intensely personal. Um, you know, I've I've, I've tried on uh, other frames and and things like that, and sure, you know, they fit your face and and you look nice in them, but it looks like you looking nice in somebody else's frames. It it it, it doesn't. There there's two separate things. There's you. And then there's these frames that look nice on you. You're making the frames look nice. You know, when, when, when I put on a pair of, of Kirk and Kirk frames, all of that becomes one thing. I, I, surely this is just kind of like my own subconscious here, but I feel like I look like me. I don't feel like there's any separation between, you know, something that I have to wear daily to, function see in life and i still fall over i feel like if i were if i were a glass designer and i designed myself something they would look like this and they would be in those colors and that's what i would look like and when i put them on i look like me and you know it's not an outfit that i change every day it's something that you wear daily and i want to present myself as me you know i what what i've what i've learned like uh sometimes it's like oh my gosh am i wearing like these crazy colors and all that kind of stuff and people don't see that 
because they just see me. Not that they don't see the colors, obviously, but but it's just who I am. It's just who we are. Mm. And I will tell you this story. We were doing a um, private concert with Mark Almond for people um, who had contributed to this very artistic album and whatnot and everything like that. There was a Q&A afterwards and uh, you know, Martin and I weren't accepting any of the Q&As. Of course not. I mean, we're, we're not Mark Almonds, you know. Um, and somebody raised their hand and said, yes, yes, I have uh, a question for Kimberly. And I was like, oh my gosh, like somebody's going to ask me a question about being a violinist and, and the struggles and how long I've done it. Nah, nah. Really like your glasses. Where'd you get your glasses? <laughs> was like, okay, all right. But you know what? Isn't that great? And and I was I was so proud to say that they were perfect Kurt and they were my friend and they should go get them. And but that's that's the power of what you do for me. And that's true. Thank yeah. you. That is that is lovely. And and what a great place to wrap up this podcast. <laughs> You two, you two have been fantastic. Thank you. You've really, you've really opened up and shared some very personal thoughts and, and personal ideas, which, which we really, really appreciate. And I've really enjoyed spending time with you, as I always do. We always love spending time with you two and, and give our love to Karen. Martin and Kimberly McCarrick, goodbye and thank you. Goodbye, Jason. Bye, man. Oh, it's so wonderful when creators let us go behind the curtain. I guess there's so much that we just don't see or hear about. Thanks again to the McCarricks. As for us, please do follow us on social media at Kirk and Kirk. You can also get in touch via our website, kirkandkirk.com, or shoot us an email on info at kirkandkirk.com. And don't forget to follow this podcast too, so you'll get notified of all future episodes. Thank you for listening. Hope you'll join us again. But for now, from me, Jason Kirk, it's goodbye. <laughs>